Hey there. This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the storytelling family. At Late Night, we strip down to raw truth, and just like that stripper last weekend, we need your tips. Go to paypal.me backslash storystoryinc and tuck those dollar bills in. This summer, we are taking sci-fi themes from B-movie to triple X with Tales Told Live. During the slam, we leave space for special guests and members of our audience to share a five-minute story. Beginning with host Chanel Steiner, we hear stories from Eric Scarsfo, Patty O'Hara, and meteorologist Jay Breidenbach. Beware of the Blob, recorded live on June 30th, 2020 at the Adults Only Visual Arts Collective and live streamed to our audience. It's Late Night Stories. So tonight, our show is themed around the film The Blob. And I'm way too young to have seen the original, so. But I did see the 1988 version, and really the premise is there's this gelatinous blob, this alien life form that just consumes and engulfs everything it sees or touches, sees, it touches. And then as it does so, it grows larger and larger. And so there are these kids that are trying to warn people about it, and nobody will believe them because they haven't seen this. And really, a gelatinous blob just consuming people? I don't know. So I do remember one scene from this movie because it was so unbelievable. The blob actually came up through the kitchen sink and attacked this man and then just pulled him down the, the, the pipe, just pulled him down the sink. And I thought... I can't even put hair down the drain in the shower without get. This is a whole man going through a pipe. Okay, that's believable. I can see why this movie is a classic. So, <laughs> tonight we're going to hear stories based on that theme, based on consuming things, trying to warn people about something and they won't listen to you, they don't believe you trying to break free from confinement and also becoming a blob and also just devouring everything in sight. Now, as I read this list of themes, I just kept looking down at my little belly and I thought, this is our night because <laughs> my belly is very affectionately known as Biscuit to friends and family. And ever since quarantine, Biscuit has just been devouring every carbohydrate in sight. I mean, cookies, ice cream, you name it. The kids' fries aren't even safe at this point. And so Biscuit's been growing and growing and breaking out of the confinement of my genes. It's very unfortunate. And a few weeks ago, we had to go to the doctor. Now, I do wanna say, that my doctor has never said anything about my weight or biscuit size. She's very loving. What she is concerned about, though, is the cholesterol and sugar in my blood. So while biscuit has been here devouring everything, I am still in denial. She's trying to make me believe that this maybe isn't a good thing for me. Maybe warn me a little bit about diabetes. But we'll see. We'll see which way Biscuit wants to go. Please welcome Eric Scarzo. All right. 
Captain's Log, Stardate 6302020. I look back in this uh, logbook here, and I seem to find all kinds of sentimental things, particularly my interest in Star Trek. Now, Star Trek for me started when I was very little, probably in the mid-1990s, as I was born on Stardate 8261992. And that was the year that Star Trek, about that time, had debuted the, the show Star Trek Voyager. Now, I watched a lot of reruns of the uh, Enterprise and the Next Generation, but uh, my favorite was Voyager, Catherine, Captain, Captain Catherine Janeway and her crew thrown 70 million light years into the Delta Quadrant and having to find her way home. And I've always been fascinated with that show and the memorabilia from everything from the badges to the logbook to even the very early tricorders here, communication devices from the original series. But I've always wanted a model of the Star Trek Voyagers, um, Star Trek Voyager model. Now I've been collecting all the ornaments from Hallmark every year since 1992. I actually had to go back a couple years because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't collecting in 92 when I was born, but when I finally got that model of the Voyager ship and all the ones after that, my favorite has been that one and it all lights up and I've played with that one quite a bit uh, since I've gotten it, but I've always wanted a full-size scale. Now, unfortunately, the uh, full-size scale models that Ravel makes, you have to pre-cut all the windows out, you gotta paint it and decal it and I just, doesn't, I just do not have that type of a uh, handyman skills to do that airbrushing the way I would be satisfied with the uh, model in the end. So one day uh, last month on uh, Facebook, part of the Star Trek Modelers page, a man posted photos of a Bandai kit Voyager model. And this kit would come with landing gear, the stand, pre-lit, snapped together, pre-decaled, all ready to go out of the box. And I was like, that is the model for me. So I went on eBay very quick because I found out that Bandai no longer makes these models and they're very hard to find now. So I got on eBay, found one in the cellophane wrap box still, snatched it off before anyone else could grab it. I paid a pretty penny for that model there, but it ended up turning out well worth the investment. Came within a week and by, by a week's end, I was able to totally completely put it together and through the help of YouTube, I was able to find a lot of great uh, YouTube videos of how to put this specific model together. And this man on YouTube actually totally re retrofitted it with LED technology, lights, and all that. The original kit came with incandescent light bulbs, and I thought, there's no way I'm going to use those with a battery powered and all that. I'm going to go to the future and do LEDs, and that's exactly what I did. And by the time that model came in, I had pre-ordered all my stuff, so I was ready to go. And it all went in really fast and simple. And I had it done, and it looked great, and everyone's enjoyed it. And that's when Jody reached out to me and thought I had created something huge because he didn't notice my hand in the video of my, of my own Facebook videos. He thought I had created something giant. And I'm like, no, that's only 17 inches long. And uh, he said, why don't you bring it down anyways, and we'll have it on display for our story story night. And, and since about 1996, I would say, since watching that TV show, 
I've always wanted a model of that ship. So somehow a little bit consuming me, like that blob theme we've got going on here. Thank you for letting me be here. And I guess at this point, I am ready to beam up. Okay, well, I was 25 years old and a young intern in Washington, D.C., and going to make the most of that year on Capitol Hill. And that's when I met many friends, and one of them was named Paul. Paul was a doorman at the Capitol. That means he let people into the Senate floor and out. Um, it wasn't a very good paying job, but he did get paid well in little bribes and once in a while, uh, just little bonuses. One day he received a couple tickets to go to a uh, exhibition game, football game, between the Washington team and the Green Bay Packers. And he asked me to go as a first date. Well, I said yes, of course. and eagerly awaited for him to arrive that evening, opened the door of my apartment, and there he was and produced a little surprise for me before we went to the game. It was two lines of cocaine, a razor blade, and a $100 bill. Well, it was uh, interesting, I thought, okay. And he proceeded to ceremoniously lay out the cocaine and the razor blade, chop, 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 and did his little thing with the $100 bill, rolled it up with a flourish. Then he uh, did his thing, snort, stuck that bill up his nose, and then snorted his line. Now, I'd never done cocaine before, and but I was more probably appalled by the fact that I was going to have to stick someone's $100 bill up my nose he handed it to me and, and I, well, there was no way I was going to stick that up my nose. I, I, I had to do something. So I created a, a straw by putting my finger on the very end of that $100 bill to protect my nose. I didn't touch it to my nose. And I, I gave a huge snort. And, uh, but it was also a huge fail because I didn't get anything, maybe just a couple granules. So I, uh, uh, as I said, I only got a couple of granules, so it just kind of didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything for me. In fact, the rest of it wound up on the floor with the dust bunnies because I kind of exasperated, blew it away. Paul was already a little zippy from his line, and... Uh, also a little disappointed that I didn't get to enjoy mine, but we took off for the game. And when we arrived, there was already a huge crowd outside the stadium, this huge amorphous amoebic crowd waiting to get in. And we inserted ourselves in that crowd. Paul was a little sweaty from his little cocaine experience. And I felt nothing until we got about in the middle of that crowd and all of a sudden, very suddenly, I felt this boiling feeling in my knees 
and it just kind of welled up into my head and I felt this whoosh, like an explosion. And I, I remember feeling like I wanted to run, just run. I wanted to, not away or to anything, just I wanted to run fast. And so I remember turning to Paul and going, Paul, and, and running and flailing my arms. And that's all I remember of that. I, I, I just know that I never did cocaine again. But it did open the floodgates because um, I also tried marijuana, uh, not just any old marijuana. My roommate was from New Mexico and worked in a senator's office from New Mexico. He didn't do it, but uh, she had access to some really interesting product. She invited her coworkers to our apartment one night. I arrived home after they already were quite stoned. They offered me the joint, which was already quite juicy and down to a stub, again with the germaphobe. I, I just couldn't imagine putting that in my mouth, but I did. I took, I took the mother of all hits and very quickly felt as if my face were melting off, just half of my face. It felt like it was melting wax, falling off the side of my head into my lap. And I tried to gather my face up. I, my fear was that my gums were also going to melt. And so I, I kept looking for my teeth in my lap because they needed to go back in my face. And then my roommate, I remember, started laughing hysterically uncontrolled laughter. And I got a little paranoid because I wanted her to help me put my face back on. It was like a scene out of the outer limits. And there I was gathering up my face. The good news is, is that by the end of the evening, her friends had gone and my face was back and my teeth were in place again. That, that was a good thing. Well, I, had many other experiences. Those were my kind of blobby-like ones, but I did have some lessons I took home after those. One was that I will never stick a stranger's $100 bill up my nose. And another is that I will check the ingredients on that joint before I smoke it. And finally, I, I guess that, you know, if you ever want to get yourself out of an amoebic, blob, globular crowd real fast, just raise your hands up in the air flailing and shout Paul that's it thank you so for this segment our black sheep will come back up here for the sheepish slam Jay Breidenbach hi everyone uh, thanks again for having me on uh, story story uh, late night Again, I'm Jay Breidenbach, and this is my story, and it's actually my first time being a sheep. Um, I'm also a meteorologist, and so my story begins as a young kid. Um, oh, wait, I, I guess I'm, I'm a sheep, not a goat. So my story begins as a young lamb, and it turns out that I was fascinated with weather, um, and my mom and dad bought me a rain gauge when I was six years old. And we lived in Florida at that time, so I measured lots of rain, uh, even more than we've measured here in Boise, 
um, in June so far, and, and we're coming up on a record amount of rain in, in June. I also had a thermometer to track how hot or cold it was each day. And in a way, I guess these were my first scientific instruments. And then in high school, earth science and math were my favorite classes. I know, I guess I'm a bit of a nerd, but, but I thought, hey, this is really interesting and it, and it explains how things really work. I also enjoyed reading, um, especially science fiction, and I, I still enjoy good science fiction like Star Wars and my all-time favorite, Star Trek. So I really appreciated uh, Eric earlier tonight uh, with the Star Trek uh, uh, model. And uh, I wonder if everybody remembers the episode with Tasha Yar, where she was taken by a blob on a hot planet. Remember that episode? That was uh, some, some really cool science fiction. Uh, but there really is a difference between science and fiction. That's, that's one thing that I've, I've learned. Um, talking about the science of global warming and, and climate change, I first learned about that in college at uh, Florida State uh, University. And we studied the physics of the atmosphere and how it would become warmer if we increased the amount of carbon dioxide in it. And this was way before any of this became, became political. It was just science. Since I've been out of college, living here in, in Boise in the future and in the real world, one of my jobs is to explain weather and climate science to people. And um, sometimes when I'm doing that and I, I have an audience, people will ask strange questions about the atmosphere. They might say something like, hey, Jay, what do you think about chemtrails and what can we do about them? <laughs> well, the, the first time I got that question, um, I had to Google it and I found out that chemtrails are a conspiracy theory that some, where some people believe that the government is spraying chemicals from airplanes to control our minds. And I thought, whoa, well, this is weird. Well, the next time I got that question, I, I tried to explain to the conspiracy theorist um, that they were just likely seeing contrails or condensation along the path of an airplane. And the funny thing is, all I got was a spooky looking blank stare back. Well, the next time uh, when I was trying to explain how uh, weather satellites orbit the earth, and send back pictures of clouds to help meteorologists forecast the weather, the same conspiracy theorist in my audience looked really confused. And someone whispered to me, flat earth society. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's cool, but that's science fiction. So tonight, as we talk about the blob, frozen up there in the Arctic now since 1958, I'd like to talk a little bit about science. Turns out that the Earth has continued to warm since 1958, and it's continued to warm since I studied about it in college. It also turns out that those satellites that I was talking about have been very useful in looking down at at the frozen Arctic 
And we've been using those satellites to do that continuously. Since 1979, we've had continuous coverage looking down at the Arctic. And, um, and in fact, I've been watching those satellite images too. And I've watched the ice literally melt before my eyes. In fact, the amount of ice is 20% less than it was when we first started watching. This summer, we're headed for another record low ice cover in the Arctic again. And in fact, 20 years from now, the Arctic Ocean is likely to, to be completely ice free during the summertime. So that's gonna happen within our lifetime. I've also been searching satellite images for the blob. And all that I've seen is a blob of warm water appear in the Northern Pacific Ocean. And it seems to be growing a little bit every year. So as a scientist, I'm growing more and more concerned that the Arctic is already too warm to keep the blob frozen. In fact, it may have already escaped. It might already be on the loose, oozing back into our neighborhoods in the middle of the night. Be vigilant. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsors, Boise State Public Radio and Radio Boise. Our summer season sponsor is the Over 19 Adult Shop. Our theme song was composed by Ned Evett. Support this storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. Also, check out our YouTube channel. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story. 